I thought of <clears throat> something the other day uh, as we're going through, I don't know if you've noticed yet, a cold snap right now. Uh, and uh, we do have a member of our church whose heat went out the other day, or the other week, weeks ago. Uh, and that reminded me of something that we experienced, not in the wintertime, but the summertime, about two and a half years ago. Um, two, yeah, two and a half years ago. Uh, our, our air conditioner went out in our house in the summer. And it, it of course, that makes it hot, you know. Uh, but at the time, I think uh, Ethan wasn't quite a year at that point. But, so we had five kids, and then me and Katie, one of the kids was less than a year. And so seven bodies in the house with no AC makes it just a little bit warmer uh, than normal. And uh, when everybody gets hot and sweaty and sticky, then attitudes begin to flare even more so than they did before. Um, And so through much prayer and phenomenal wisdom, uh... We made the decision that, you know, uh, for a little while until the AC would get fixed, Katie would, you know, for a week would go to Dallas with her parents where they had AC, <laughs> do VBS with their church, experience the air conditioner and come back. Uh, and I would be here uh, doing, you know, I'd come to the church early so I could experience the AC and uh, uh, work here. And so during that period, we, we were waiting. I mean, the AC guy would come. And he would think it was this problem, and they would fix it, and then he would leave, and then he would leave, and it would break. And then he would come back the next day and fix another problem he thought it was, and it would work. And then he would leave, and a couple hours later, it would break. And so then, during the summertime, lots of ACs were breaking, and so they weren't always able to come as quickly as possible. I mean, they were great guys and and figuring everything out, but they just weren't able to come because other people needed air. Um, And I can distinctly remember... Uh, Katie and the kids being in Dallas uh, for a couple of days, and I, you know, the house was just hot, and so it, it you know, it, it's terrible when you try to go to sleep and it's hot, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's terrible, and so I pulled the couch to the middle of the living room, turned the fan on, and just slept on top of the couch. Uh, me and the dog, I made the dog sleep on the floor. The dog's not going to sleep with me because I'm already hot, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was very, very hot, and just waiting. We waited a week. We waited another week. Waited another week. And then our VBS came. Katie and the kids were back. And uh, I mean, now they didn't go and stay like the whole summer. I mean, they would go for a few days and then come back and then go for a few days and come back. It was only like two or three times. It wasn't a lot. But uh, they were back because it was our VBS week. Um, and so we would, you know, come up here and do VBS and then Katie had planned, she was smart, had planned different activities throughout the afternoons. Go to, this person invited us to go use their pool, and they'd go use that pool to keep the kids out of the house where it was really, really hot. And uh, it, was, it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that week. I get a phone call during VBS that morning, and uh, the AC guy says, we think we know what the problem is. We're coming to your house right now. Uh, and so I, I, I mean... I was up here. I let everybody know. I said, I, I got to go right now. AC guy's coming to my house. Uh, and so I, I bolted home. And uh, the AC guy and, and his buddy and his, his employee showed up to the house. Uh, and they pulled the copper piping that went from the outside unit to the inside unit up under the foundation out. And it had a hole in it like that. Uh, it had, they finally discovered what it was. It had, you know, the 
the, the copper piping had, had ruptured and was spewing the fumes. Um, so I pulled that out, put a new one in, and it just so happened that that was Katie's birthday. And so I can remember, she was up here working VBS while they, and then they fixed it, and I called her and said, happy birthday, the AC works. And uh, that's your birthday present, because I just paid for it. And so they, uh, that wasn't her only birthday present. But we had waited for weeks. I mean, it felt like it was like months. I mean, it was a long time with no air. And the air started to work then, and it was a relief. I mean, it was amazing um, to, to not have it and then to get it. Um, so God does deliver on working HVACs, uh, and uh, they do come. And, but it was in the waiting because we just didn't know maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. We don't know when it's going to come. We, we hope it will come at some point. We just don't know when or, or what the problem really is uh, until the problem was fixed, until they came and fixed the problem. Then we saw it. Actually, I should have had the, I have a picture of the pipe with the hole in it. Uh, I should have had that for you, but they, uh, uh, just the waiting was what, was what was holding us up. And now when Jesus ascended to heaven, his only instruction to his disciples were, go back to Jerusalem and wait. He didn't tell them how long to wait. He just told them a helper is going to come and just wait for him in Jerusalem. He didn't tell them what it was going to look like. He didn't tell them what the experience was going to be. He didn't really even tell them what the, what the helper was going to tell them to do. He just said, go and make disciples of all nations and then go back in Jerusalem and wait. And so they did. They, Jesus ascended into heaven. Angels showed up and said, all right, guys, he already gave you the instruction. Go back into town and wait. And so they went back and they waited. They waited what we believe back in the place where they had the Last Supper. You know, um, so they went back in this upper room and they're waiting there. They locked themselves back in the room. And they wait there. Day one comes, praying, nothing happens. Day two, they wake up with anticipation. Today's the day. It's going to, helpers coming. Nothing happens. Again, if you know the story, if you've read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, you know what's coming, but they have no idea what the experience is going to be. And so they're waiting, and 10 days pass, and there's nothing. A week and a half. You ever waited a week and a half for something to happen, and it still hadn't happened, you get frustrated? And then you call them and say, just cancel it. I'm done with this waiting mess. Well, the disciples don't do that. They're, just, they're still waiting. They had great patience. Waiting and praying. And in the waiting, the day finally arrived. They don't know it's the day yet. Again, remember, they don't know what the helper, helper's going to knock on the door, helper's going to walk in, it's going to be a guy with a shirt that says helper. They don't know. They're just in the room. And this is the experience they had. Acts chapter 2, page 909, if you're using the Bible on the rack. Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, now try to put yourself there. It said the sound came from heaven. So from the sky, this, this unbelievable sound came, like a mighty rushing wind. Have any of y'all ever been near a tornado? Like It's like a like a, row, a low rumble that just gets louder and louder and louder and louder. It's just to the point of shaking the house kind of sound. And that's what I, I mean, we don't know that's what this was. That's what I picture. It's this rushing wind, and so they hear it before they feel it. 
They hear it coming from the sky, this mighty rushing wind. And then it comes from the sky, and the sound fills the house. Now, it doesn't say there was wind, right? It just says there was the sound of the mighty rushing wind. And so the sound came, and the sound fills the house where they were sitting. I mean, just massive vibrations shaking their very being. And then, out of the sound, verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, remember again, if you've read this story, this doesn't seem weird to you because you've read it before, but these are guys who've never seen this before, never experienced this before. They just know Jesus said a helper's coming. This insane sound is there, almost deafening their ears, it's so loud, and then little flames pop out of the sky and come and sit on each one of their heads. Would any of you be swatting at the fire? Like afraid it's going to set your head on fire? You know, or laughing. I mean, maybe you don't have, maybe you're bald. You don't have any hair. And you're like, ha, ha, my hair's not catching on fire. And, and, you know, you don't know. And so this little fire is going around the room and resting on each one of them who's in the room. And it's just floating there above their heads. And in the middle of this, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's other languages. And so they're in the room Massive sound, fire, little flames come and rest on all of their heads, and it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit is the helper that was promised by Jesus. And so now they have the Holy Spirit in them. And so what do you think they do next? I mean, if you know the story, you know what they do next. But remember, their last instruction from Jesus was go and make disciples of what? All nations. Now, I want to point something out to you. Alyssa, go back to verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so this day is Pentecost. Pentecost was this massive festival where Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem and spend this time together. So Jesus' last instruction was, go and make disciples of all nations. So here we are, day of Pentecost, who comes to Jerusalem? All nations. So their last instruction from Jesus, go and make the disciples of all nations, here in their town, they have all nations. So Jesus gave them what to do, gave them an instruction. They didn't know how to do it. They received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4. And so what does the Holy Spirit tell them to do? Holy Spirit tells them how to do it. And so they go out into the street immediately and start telling all the nations about Jesus. And 3,000 people get saved that day because they had the instruction from Jesus to what? They had the how from the Holy Spirit, how they were going to facilitate this telling the nations. They'd go out into the street and tell them, and the Holy Spirit gifted them with these other languages. And so they're out there in the street speaking the original languages of all these people who were out there. And 3,000 people get saved that day because of this. So Jesus told them what to do. The Holy Spirit showed them how to do it. Because the Holy Spirit shows the way. What does the Holy Spirit do? He shows us the way to do whatever we need to do. He may not show us the full picture of it. I mean, he told these disciples, go out and tell people about Jesus. So they did. And at the end of that, 3,000 people were saved. Now, they didn't know when the Holy Spirit said, go out and tell the people about Jesus. They didn't know at that point how to organize 3,000 people into a megachurch. They had no idea how to do that. I mean, they were fishermen and tax collectors. They didn't know how to 
doing, they hadn't been to business school. They didn't know how to organize people in any of that. But all they knew was Jesus told me to, to tell people about him. Holy Spirit says, go out and do it right now. I'll just listen to the Holy Spirit for the next step. And so they just listened to the Holy Spirit for the next step of the path he had set them on. Because the Holy Spirit shows the way. Let me give you an example of this. In Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is an, it's a famous passage. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet who spoke with the Lord and then spoke to the people on behalf of the Lord. Now look at this. Uh, 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 Ezekiel speaking, uh, writing this down. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So the hand of the Lord comes on him, and and the Holy Spirit is with him and in him, and he gets taken by the spirit to a valley that's full of bones, bones everywhere. Verse 2, speaking of the Spirit, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now look back at verse 2. The Holy Spirit showed him the way. So just like the disciples in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit showed them the way to make disciples, go out in the street and tell them about Jesus, here in Ezekiel 37, the Holy Spirit is showing Ezekiel the way. Because it's through the Holy Spirit that he's taken to this valley. But I want to, this was something that popped out to me as I've been studying this. Verse 3, he says, and he said to me, he said to me, God said to me, how did God speak here? Was it a big booming voice? Was it a still small voice? Well, how was Ezekiel where he was? He was in the spirit. He was in the spirit there. And the spirit was the one who was speaking to him because the spirit is God's spirit. The spirit was leading him. The spirit was guiding him. The spirit was showing him the way he he heard the voice of God speaking through the Spirit, because the voice of the Spirit is the voice of God. Because God is the Spirit, the Spirit is God. Anything God can do, the Spirit can do, because the Spirit is God. And so He's there in the Spirit, and the Spirit is speaking to Him. Look at verse five. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. That's two times he said it so far. You will get breath, and then you will live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So there was no breath 
which means there's no life. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that what? They may live. Breath comes, there's life. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. Breath comes, and there's life. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So it's four times in that passage, verse 5, verse 6, verse 9, and verse 10, that the breath will come and there will be life. Then the breath does come and there is life. Life comes from the breath. The breath brings life. I want to point something out in verse 14. This is what God tells Ezekiel. This is a symbol from people who are spiritually dead being brought to life. And so if it's a symbol, then the breath must be something. Verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you, and what? You will live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So put my spirit within you, and you will live. Phrasing sounds very familiar, yeah? The word in Hebrew in verses 5, 6, 9, and 10, put the breath in you and you will live. The word for breath is the exact same word there in verse 14 as spirit. Same word. Breath and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. <clears throat> and so the breath brings life. But according to the rest of the passage, verse 14, the spirit brings life. The spirit brings life. So whatever may have you feeling beaten down like you are one of those sets of dry bones in the valley and you feel completely dry and parched and sapped of all strength and possibility of what is yet to come. Maybe you're in a situation and you don't even know what to pray for because you've been praying for it for so long and so hard and you're just worn out spiritually and you feel dried up. Well, the Spirit brings life. You see, if, if you're still here, what I've said many times, if you're still here, God's not done with you yet. So even if you feel like you're in the valley of dry bones, you're still here. Do you think any of those people who became the exceedingly great army that day had any idea why they were stuck in a valley as a bunch of dry bones? They didn't know. I mean, obviously, I mean, he was in the spirit, it was a vision, but the idea is you, even if today you feel dried up, you feel beaten down, you feel like someone has, has destroyed you, maybe it was life, maybe it was health, maybe it was a circumstance, maybe it was your job, maybe it was a person, a group of people, and you just feel, God, I just can't do this anymore. I don't have the strength. I, 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 just, I just can't. I'm just beaten down. God's not done with you yet. You're still here. You're still here. You may feel like you're stuck in a cycle of destruction just beating you down, and every day is another phone call with another blow, and you just don't know what to do, and this cycle continues and uh, uh, just lays waste to you. And you are in a valley of dry bones. And you can't pull yourself out. Well, the fact of the matter is you can't. But he can. 
This past week, or the past several weeks, there's been a lot of speculation about the uh, retirement of a particular NFL quarterback, whether he was going to do it or whether he was not going to do it. Um, Tom Brady. Whether you like him or not, the guy's good. I mean, and he's been good for a long time. Like, there's been quarterbacks that I like. They've all been on one team. But, uh, um, but that, that, that's, that's more my bias than anything else. But you just watch him, and it's just unbelievable. How can one guy be so good for so long? I mean, yeah, there's got to be skill, but there's been development. I mean, he's good now. He was good back then, but he's way better now than he was then. And so you, I, I watched some, uh, read some interviews with him. And everybody wants to know, how are you so good, so deep into your 40s, in a game that destroys people? H- how? And so he would walk them through his process, how he would, the, the foods he eats and his workout regimen. But he says, some, there's, he says, specifically, there's two things that really have upped his game that he really hasn't changed, uh, even as he's gotten older. One is the amount of sleep he gets. Um, sleep is vital uh, for recovery and energy. But the other one is drinking water. He said, uh, the moment he wakes up in the morning, he drinks at least one full glass of water. Before he even goes to the bathroom, before sometimes even he gets out of bed, he's got it sitting beside his bed at night because he knows he wants it in the morning. He immediately wakes up and drinks at least one full glass of water because he says, and it's true, I mean, if you've been sleeping, then your body's dehydrated. You're, you're, you're what? Dried up. So he takes a big old drink and feels refreshed for what he's about to face in his day. So good for so long, he attributes it to several things. But like I said, the things that he has never changed in the midst of being so good is sleeping and drinking a lot of water, particularly right when he wakes up in the morning because water brings life. So you got to take a drink. Water brings life, so you got to take a drink. But as we've just seen in Acts and in Ezekiel, the Spirit brings life. So you got to take a drink. The Spirit comes and He brings life. So you got to take a drink. But we may ask ourselves, okay, the Spirit comes and the Spirit brings life, and I got to take a drink of Him. But when does the Spirit come? How? Does he, what happens to us when the Spirit comes? I and mean, when the Spirit comes and I feel the Spirit and sense the Spirit, I don't see little, little flames flying around the room and landing. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you do. I'm not going to knock that from you. God can move and however he wants to move to anybody. I've never seen fire flying around and falling on people's heads, um, except in movies. I've never actually seen it in real life. But how does the Spirit do, how does he do this? How does that change our lives when the Spirit comes like that. Well, this is in Isaiah chapter 32, another prophecy. Isaiah chapter 32. God is giving Isaiah uh, the image of what the world is like. And he paints this image of absolute destruction. Absolute destruction and, and ruination all over the place. Isaiah 32 and verse 14. He says, the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower 
will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Now, when it says there, um, the hill and the watchtower uh, where, you know, uh, parts of the city were, the watchtower where they had a, a, a little outpost set up, would become dens forever. Now, that word dens, that is like the home of wild animals. The den of a wild animal would make its home within the buildings of the humans. So massive destruction has taken place wherever this is. So much so that the animals now live in the buildings where the people used to live. Because there's no more people there. Because there's been such destruction. This is, this is not actually happening. This is, this is an image of a spiritual condition uh, that he's laying out here. Uh, I mean, the prophecy serves several purposes. He is talking about the desertion of Israel, uh, but he's also, he's mainly talking about the spiritual condition because of what comes next. This continues to happen, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So the destruction particularly for Israel, was a result of their own decisions and the actions of others led them to the point of complete destruction. Complete destruction. And the deal was, if you've ever read the Old Testament, Israel's problems kept coming over again and over again. It was, like, it was a cycle. They would follow the Lord for, it felt like, a day, and then they would turn away from him and do all kinds of things that were inappropriate and, and bad and and not follow the Lord, and then destruction would come on them. And they would go through destruction, I mean, if you read the book of Judges, for decades, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years. And then finally, after those decades, they would call out to the Lord for help. And then the Lord would come, and he would rescue them, and they would turn away from him, and then they would go through the cycle again. Just over and over and over again, the cycle of following the Lord for a second, and then absolute destruction when they turned away. And then wallowing in the destruction, and then when they turned back to the Lord, there would be rescue. And they would follow the Lord for a second, and they would turn away from him, and there would be destruction. And that's the way it is with our lives sometimes. We experience what, what, what seems to be seasons of destruction, whether it's physical destruction or financial destruction or emotional destruction or relational destruction. It feels like things are just collapsing down upon us, and nothing is like what we thought it would be. And so here in Isaiah 32, there's waste, there's destruction, there's, there's ruin. And that's going to continue to happen is the idea until the spirit is received and followed. Because the spirit stops the cycle of destruction. The spirit stops the cycle of destruction when we allow his influence. I mean, back in verse 14 of Isaiah 32, it says the spirit is poured out, or verse 15, the Spirit is poured out. So the Spirit comes from God, and he's poured out on those who follow him, who believe in him. But receiving the Spirit, which we know from Romans and the words of Jesus and other words of Paul, uh, that the, in Corinthians, every person who believes in Jesus has the Spirit with them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can stop the cycle of destruction you've ever experienced or you're experiencing right now. The Spirit of God can stop it. But just because you have the Spirit does not mean you listen to Him. Does not mean you follow Him. You may follow Him sometimes, but it doesn't mean you follow Him all the time. The Spirit can stop that cycle of destruction when we allow Him to. Sometimes, we keep the spirit at arm's length. 
We'll hang on to him because he's given to us and we can't remove him. He's with us always. But we don't want to change too much. <laughs> we don't want to give up our binging. We don't want to give up our friends. We don't want to give up our smartphone. We don't want to give up that job. We don't want to give up something in particular. And we're just hanging on to that thing. And so we're keeping the spirit at arm's length because we only want his influence so much. We don't want him to influence everything in our lives because that, that would be uncomfortable. I mean, that would change up our whole daily schedule. We, we, we only want his influence a little bit. I mean, he's guaranteeing me heaven. I'll, I'll keep him around for that. But, but his influence in every aspect of my life means I've probably got to change a few things. But when we allow him to change a few things, that means things are changed. I mean, look back at that verse 15. When the Spirit comes, what happens? The wilderness, that means the desert, that's the valley of dry bones, becomes a fruitful field. That's like a garden. But then the image is the garden grows up so much, the fruitful field grows up so much, it becomes a forest. A forest. A garden grows such, with such incredible rate of speed and abundance that it's a forest walking through it. But it's not like a forest of, you know, fruitless trees. It's a, it's a forest of fruit-filled trees all over the place. Not just like an orchard of neatly, you know, ordered rows. I mean, it's so dense that it's a forest. This fruitfulness that God has sprung out of the desert of our lives that it feels like sometimes. When the Spirit is poured out from on high. And the Spirit does that. You can't create that yourself. You can't fabricate it yourself. You may be able to put on a facade and a, and, a, and a fake face to make everybody else think that you're there. But God knows what's inside. Inside you may be a valley of dry bones. And you put up a good front. You post that screenshot of, of the, the verse of the day from the Bible app on your Facebook. And everybody's, oh man, they're so holy. You know, they... You know, and you, you, you say God is good, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point with it every time. And man, oh yeah, and, and, but really you are in the midst of just devastation. And you don't know what to do with it. I had a friend the other day tell me that he was going through a struggle. And uh, what he said was, what I really need in the midst of my struggle in the midst of my dry bones, is I need to be supported by the faith of others. Because I don't know what to do right now, but what I do know is God is good. And so I need the faith of others and the prayers of others to support me and hold me up. And so that's why we were talking. He was, I, I prayed for him. And so that's what we need sometimes. We need the Lord to move in his, with his spirit sometimes through other people, into us, and, and we need to allow him to have his way. Because the Spirit was there in that valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. The Spirit had brought Ezekiel to the valley. So the Spirit was there, but the dry bones had not received the Spirit yet. So they were still dead. They were still dry. They were still bones. The bones hadn't taken a drink. The bones hadn't allowed the Spirit to influence them and change them and raise them up into what they needed to be. Look back at that Isaiah 32. Look at verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. 
the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field becomes a forest. What was destruction, what was ruined, completely changes. You know, maybe the destruction within you, within us, is it's personal. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's so devastatingly deep that you don't like to think about going there. You just buried it and stamped on it and kept it down because you just, you don't want to go there. You don't want to have to dig it up and allow the spirit to move through it and heal you from it. You would rather just keep it buried so you don't, have, don't even have to allow it to enter your brain again because it was so painful at the time. But bringing it to the Lord can change things. You see, true healing won't come until you stop looking at the destruction from the lens of hurt and start looking to the Spirit for help. When we continually look at the destruction and the pain from I am hurt and I am and I cannot believe this has happened and it hurts so bad. And we, what we need to do is transition our, our perspective from that to the spirit. Yeah, it still hurts. It still does. But when you look to the spirit, there can, find, there can be healing. There can be help. That doesn't mean you're not going to need outside help. I mean, there's always going to be outside help that can come and help. But true healing doesn't come from burying it. It comes from giving it to the spirit and allowing him to help you. Allowing him to show you the way through it. Is walking with the spirit through it. It's all in how you look at it. It's in your perspective. It's all in where you're looking. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma, he said it this way. He said, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And if your thoughts are centered on the spirit and on scripture and on the Lord, it's going to change the way you move. It's going to change your direction. But if your mind is completely centered on the destruction and on the hurt and on the pain and on this other stuff, you're going to move in that direction when the Lord wants you to find healing over here. You have to change your perspective. That doesn't mean the hurt immediately goes away. But just what it means is you're looking in a different place now. You're looking in a different place. And over time, there will come healing. There will come Physical, emotional restoration between you and the Lord. You know, there is a, a, a perspective the Lord led me to. Um, from, we're going to look at two scriptures here, but I want to set the stage for you. This destruction that comes and, and being remade by the Lord, his pouring out of his spirit, as we see there in Isaiah 32, and, and everything has changed. I mean, the, the desert becomes a garden. The garden becomes this massive, incredible forest. How do we get to that point? Well, what we see in that passage, as well as throughout other passages of Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit abundantly restores what was ruined. The Holy Spirit abundantly rebuilds what was ruined. Rebuilds what was ruined. He rebuilds it, remakes even though sometimes what was, may have been destroyed in our lives needs to have been destroyed. It may have needed to be destroyed. But what was destroyed, we may want to rebuild it. We may want to remake it. And, and in the remaking, sometimes in our mind, we want him to remake it the way it was. 
But if you see in that passage in, in Isaiah 32, he doesn't just remake what was, he makes it better than what was. An, in, an incredible growth from desert to garden to forest. Because it, it, it's kind of this image of, of uh, well, look, let me give you the scriptures first. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Did I put these in there, Alyssa? I can't, okay, good. Uh, I was really struggling with how to, uh, the conclusion of this message. The Lord gave me this like on Friday. Um, Paul wrote this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. Now, this, this is important wording. He is a new creation. Because this wording harkens back to creation. Because God made Adam and Eve in his image. Right? Y'all heard that before? He made Adam and Eve, the first human beings, in his image. But then Adam and Eve sinned and introduced sin into the world. And so every human being created after Adam and Eve, in the other way you make people, has been made in the image of people. Adam and Eve made in the image of God. Sin came. And now every human being has been made in the image of other people. Made in the image of other people. Until the point of Jesus coming. Because what happens in that verse, Paul says, you're a new creation. And so it's, it's being remade. It's being rebuilt. It's, it's what was is gone now. And so if you are in Christ now, you're not in the image of other people anymore. You're in the image of Christ. What was, the old creation, has been destroyed, has died. And he has remade you. You believe in Jesus, you get remade. First, with your spirit. You see, you are both body and spirit. And so what he does when you believe in Jesus, your spirit is remade first. And so your inside, your spirit, is made in the image of Christ. But what happens is when this physical body dies, we gain a physical body that is eternal. And so we're remade again, double remaking. We get two for one deal. He, he remakes us physically in a body that never expires, in a body that doesn't know pain, in a body that never runs out of gas. He remakes us anew. A new creation, Paul says. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Brand spanking new. Old has gone, the new has come. A new creation. We read about that here. We read about it in the book of Revelation. You are a new creation. And, and how does this new creation come? Uh, Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. Titus, in Titus, Paul writes the book of Titus. He says this. He saved us, not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Renewal, remaking. Regeneration, recreation. The Holy Spirit does it. How are we remade into a new creation? The Holy Spirit. How, how do we change from what was to what will be? The Holy Spirit. He does the remaking. He does the rebuilding. He does the recreating. It's him, not us. Not us fabricating it. Not us putting a filter in front of it. It's him remaking us from the inside out so that we are completely different. So that our destination becomes completely different. So that our focus becomes completely different. And we begin to focus on the things of God. We begin to focus on the Spirit. So we, like 
like Ezekiel, can walk in the Spirit. So when, the, when Jesus gives us an instruction, like go and make disciples of all nations, he tells us the what? The Holy Spirit guides us day by day and gives us the how. How can I do it today? Spirit. Show me the way today? Spirit. You got to follow him. You got to focus on him and allow him to change the way you think. It's not easy at first. It's not even easy later on. But it, once you begin to remake what they, you know, they call your neural pathways in your brain, it's going to rewire your processes. Let me phrase it this way. Has anybody ever taken uh, a foreign language in school? A few of you? Have you ever studied it for years? Like more than one year? I can remember in college, my roommate and I, now one of my roommates and I were in the same, getting the same degree, uh, uh, Bachelor of Arts, Biblical Studies. And so we, a part of that is we had to take the biblical languages, a lot of them. Um, I took it for three years in college and then another several years in seminary. But it, it, I remember there was a point in college when it was a couple years into it, he was at his desk, I was at my desk, and we were working on our Greek homework. And we discovered, uh, having finished that, moved on to another subject, that I had been working on it so long, because there was a lot of it, so long that I began to think in the other language. And the letters I was writing down for no, cop, you know, doing notes from another class, answering questions, writing it down, if you don't know, some, we used to write things down with our hands. Um, and so I was writing it down, but I found myself writing it down using the Greek letters and not English ones. Because I, my brain had been so focused on this one area for so many hours in a day, it had rewired the way I think. And not only that, I was thinking with Greek vocabulary. It was mind-boggling <laughs> that focusing on one thing for so long had rewired the way I thought and wrote and interacted with people. It, I'd, it, it had never occurred, and I never thought that this was possible. But obviously the professors knew that. That's why they gave you so much homework. And if we think on something so long, it will rewire the way we think. It may feel like it's never going to happen. And then one day we're going to wake up and we're going to react to something in a, spe a specific way that's uncharacteristic of how we did it before. But that's because we've become so focused on the spirit that we're rewired from the inside out, remade, recreated. And we're doing something different because we're allowing the spirit to be our guide. We're allowing the Spirit, like the apostles, like Ezekiel, we're allowing the Spirit to show us the way into where we're going. And it's going to change everything at that point. We're going to allow the Spirit to reshape us. You see, if we allow the Spirit to rebuild us from the inside out, we will become something far greater than we ever even contemplated was possible. But we need to adjust what we occupy our minds with. We need to adjust what we focus on. We need to adjust what we scroll through. We need to adjust what we put before our eyes. We need to adjust what we think about. See, because the Spirit brings life. The Spirit is life. So take a drink. Take a drink and allow him to bring life to you, to take your dry bones 
nations and turn you into an exceedingly great army who's following the Spirit's guidance every single day. And so no matter what you feel like, how devastated you may feel, what, what your life circumstance is, he, he's not done with you yet. He's still got a plan for you. He's still going to move in you. His, his spirit can still come and do something in you that you never thought he could, he could pull out of somebody who's been through what you've been through. I mean, just like Israel, they were in their circumstance of devastation and destruction because of their own decisions and because of other people's decisions. It was their fault and it was other people's fault. But the spirit still came. And still brought life. So you're still here. He can still do that with you. He can still bring you life. You say, man, you don't know. You don't know the stuff I've done. You don't know the stuff. I even said, came out of my mouth this morning. I said stuff this morning, and then an hour later, I was in this room and praising Jesus with the words we were saying on the screen. That was the opposite of what I did earlier. Well, you're still here. He didn't strike you dead. His spirit can still move in you. He can change that foul mouth into something else. I mean, Peter, case in point, night before the crucifixion, he's calling down curses. And he becomes the leader of the church from Acts chapter 2 on. God can do anything with anybody who's willing to follow the spirit. Who is one of the greatest preachers of, of the last 200 years? Billy Graham. Did he go to seminary? No. He had no Bible education. And he saw millions of people saved for one reason. He followed the Spirit. So where will you be today? Will you follow the Spirit Will you allow him to change you from the inside out, to make adjustments to you? Will you take a drink of him today and, and, and change how you think and focus on him? And the enemy, if you make that decision, the enemy's going to come and he's going to start bringing that other stuff up and he's going to try to drive your attention back to this other stuff because the enemy knows if he can get you focused on this other stuff and not focused on Jesus, that he's got you. But that's not where God wants you to be. God wants you to be a fully armed warrior in his name, you know, mowing down the enemy and bringing, rescuing people for Jesus. And so will you do that today? Follow the Spirit, maybe for the first time. Maybe you need to follow the Spirit's prompting in your heart right now and believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Do you want to believe that today and receive the Spirit today? You can have it right now. You don't got to wait. You don't got to say magic words. You don't got to put a special amount of money in the, in the offering basket in the back. You can have it free of charge because Jesus already paid the charge. So if you're in the room and you want to believe in Jesus, this is the moment. Don't argue in your head. We've all been there. Don't argue with him right now. If he's saying, that's you, you need to believe. And it's not just head, it's not just knowing him in your head. It's believing and allowing him to change your life and making him your Lord. Then you need to believe right now. Stop the arguing. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Because he loves you. And you can come to know him today. I'll be down here at the front after I pray and the band's going to sing us a song so we can sing with them and worship. And you need to come and talk to me. I'll be right there. I want to talk to you. 
Or if you're watching online, you can do it in the room too if you want. You just, on that little next steps I showed you or told you about earlier, or even on that iPad that's right out there in the lobby, uh, you just click on I made a decision and fill out the little form. It's your name, uh, email, or phone, phone number, and then what your decision was. Uh, and that sends an email to me. As soon as you hit submit, it sends an email to me, and I will call you today. Um, and, and, and we'll celebrate together and, and, and praise the Lord for what's going on. But make that decision today. Don't let the enemy distract you into delay. Jump on it now. Make the decision right now and leave the enemy in the dust.